Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to Woke and Wired to all those of you who are returning listeners and to all those of you who are new listeners. This podcast was created with the intention to bring entrepreneurship and spirituality into one conversation. As more and more people step into their life purpose and do what they love for work, business and personal lives are becoming more and more integrated. And with that, all the work that we do to heal ourselves, to expand our consciousness, and to grow spiritually ends up affecting our work. And technology, and specifically social media, is playing an increasingly important role in all of that. The kind of success that I'm interested in is the one that brings you long-term fulfillment, and the one that at the same time creates a positive impact on the world. We are living in the most advanced time in human history, with endless possibilities and resources available for us yet most of us are not tapping into these opportunities. On this podcast, I am having conversations with those people who figured out a way to tap into those endless possibilities and manifest them into a successful and fulfilled life. What does it mean to be woke and wired in today's world? That is exactly what I have set out to explore with this podcast. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. This week's episode is extra inspiring, and my guest is Sa De Simone. He is a leading transformational coach, an author, mental health advocate, and meditation teacher who combines integrative nutrition and contemplative psychotherapy to create profound change in people's lives. After leaving the fashion industry as the co-founder and creative director of Bullet Magazine, Sa immersed himself into the art of well-being and ended up spending years in monasteries around the world. From Nepal to India, Thailand, Indonesia, and Europe, he studied with some of the most prolific masters of our time, including His Holiness the Dalai Lama and a whole row of teachers whose names I cannot read. In this episode, we talk about the importance of having a discipline to really achieve transformation in any area of your life. Sa shares how he overcame suicidal thoughts and depression and became a spiritual teacher. He also shares very valuable tips on how to establish your brand as a spiritual teacher in this digital age. As someone who comes from the publishing world, Sa also shares actionable tips on how to create a blog with high traffic definitely listen to the very end of this episode to hear his idea of internet making us portals of awakening for each other. I love that. And at the very end, don't miss the exercise that Sa shares for creating more abundance in your life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, please take a moment to leave a rating and review for this podcast on iTunes. All right, here we go. All right, I have Saad Simone here at my Brooklyn apartment. We just had some matcha maple energy bites. We're drinking lemon water, and I'm so excited to have you here at Welcome Wired. 
Thank you so much. It's an honor and a joy to be here in your beautiful space and such great vibe. And I feel so supported already. Thank you. So when I was trying to remember when we met and I think we just kept running into each other at different wellness and spiritual related places Mm -hmm. in New York City. Yes. And then when it really came together is when we co-hosted a panel yeah. at Maha Rose in yeah. Brooklyn yeah. with Ruby Warrington from The Numinous and with Allison Charles, the rock star shaman. And mm-hmm. that's when I was like, whoa, this guy, we got to talk. <laughs> Same. So we're going to talk about some really deep things, really cool things. We just had lunch the other week and all these things came up that have to do with entrepreneurship and spirituality and finding your path and making it all happen in a big city. and being an immigrant, you know, all the things came up. So I thought, who would be better guest than Sa for second episode of this show? So where I want to start is by reading out loud mm. your Instagram bio. Oh, okay. So your Instagram bio says, motivational speaker, transformational coach, and meditation teacher, helping people transform their lives. You are worth the effort. And one-on-one appointments, articles, videos, podcasts. So that sounds really cool. And I want to know what you really do in your day-to-day life. Okay. So day-to-day life, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays, I see private clients. So I see a group of about 12 people and we work one-on-one for an hour. The sessions are actually 50 minutes, but there's the extra little 10 minutes that we're sorting out the homework. My work is very much about rooted in setting goals and getting clients to really know, learn about their limiting beliefs, ways to meet their limiting beliefs, face that fear, face that shame, face that guilt, and apply courage and compassion and forgiveness to then go into the next level. And that's when we really set the homeworks. And the homeworks could be like, drink more water this week, sleep a little bit longer, be a little kinder to yourself, notice how you're speaking to yourself as soon as you wake up, to let's meditate 10 more minutes today, to let's write a forgiveness letter. You name it, you know, or let's, you know, write a letter to your dad that you're never going to turn it in, but just for you and I to know that you're opening your heart to that space. A lot of the work, the one-on-one work is for people to, that are ready to transform their lives, you know, because it requires discipline. So what I do usually before I sign on a client, I ask them for a 15 minute call to see if they're ready and if they have the discipline to do the work. Because when I was I've had three major outbursts of depression in my life. Two of them, I had suicidal thoughts that were very dense and very sticky. And I didn't go seek a doctor. My mom thought that, you know, I'd taken these supplements and doing... It was interesting because in, in retrospect, looking back, she was a, she was already a holistic visionary mama. But I didn't, when it was happening, I just thought that she didn't... She wasn't fully, uh, completely there. But to lead back to your question... I needed to have discipline. I needed to have a lot of discipline and I needed to have accountability. So the work that I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I see this group of 12, sometimes 15, it varies. And these are supermodels, uh, CEOs, real estate agents, actors. It really depends. The whole, all walks of life, the only requirement is that they're ready to transform their lives because it takes the daily repetition of these simple acts to, for you to get these major insights. 
So how do you know if someone's actually ready to take on the discipline and transform their lives? That's a big thing to take on. Exactly. So that's where that phone call comes in. And I ask them in several ways, if you're ready, if you have the discipline, if this happened, how would you feel? If you were to really work with me one-on-one, would you be willing to let go of toxic friends and toxic people and stop watching shitty TV and stop listening to terrible music? I mean, cut down your alcohol consumption and stop smoking cigarettes and perhaps, you know, don't do drugs every weekend, you know, like all the things that when you live in a big city are sort of like the norm, you know, people drink every night, they party kind of hard every weekend and they're making enough money to get by, but they're not living out their dreams. And a big part of the work is, are you willing to live the best life? Are you ready to live out your dreams? This is, these are the ways that I ask to gauge if they're ready. They're like, oh, I don't know. It's like, okay, honey, so you're not for me. (laughs) As long as someone is ready to say, you know what? I want to live out my dreams. I've thought about this since I was, you know, this age, but I actually lived out my mom's story and I became a doctor because of my dad. And I moved to New York City because of this. And I pursued a career in finance because of that. None of, nothing has to do with their personal story, their personal message. So part of my work is to do the private one-on-one coaching, which is the transformational coaching. And then I teach meditation all around the city and retreats all around the world. And I do a lot of stuff in the corporate space too, which is a fun, awesome, kind of funny space to be in. But it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So do you have to give up the shitty TV and the drinking and the cookies and whatever to be transformed? Or, or how can we, you know, stay real in the world with all its things mm-hmm. and reality and mm-hmm. also stay on this path if we're curious and just have a feeling that something more? Well, there's one of two things, like the way I see it, when you have, when you're ready to make a massive shift, you have to make massive changes in your life. You can't do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this and expect a whole, your whole world to change. You know, you really do need to commit to certain things. And the commitment is to just like eat less sugar, eat less processed food, sleep more, have better friends, watch things that are inspiring. They're not making you scared or anxious. Listen to music that lifts your mood, you know, Mm. exercise. Things that are, that we all inherently and intuitively all already know mm-hmm. that we should be doing, but we just don't. So committing to these simple practices is what I ask. And then getting really clear about like, you know, out of the 21 meals that you have a week, right? Let's say you're someone who eats three meals a day. There's 21. The way we start with my clients is like, have maybe six or three of them that are your cheat meals, you know? That you, you, for instance, for me yesterday was a cheat day. So for lunch, I had a quinoa artichoke burger, but the burger was deep fried and it was in this beautiful white bread with this uh, cashew tartar sauce. I mean, I never have the bread and I never had, I never eat deep fried food unless it's part of my cheat days. And then at night, I finished this epic meeting and I was riding so high. And me and my sister went to have um, ice cream at this vegan place called Chloe in the Chelsea area. And there it is, you know, two meals out of 21 meals that were, they didn't add to my awakening, but they didn't push me down because it's not the norm. I think there's a fine balance between, you know, committing to something that you know will make you ultimately feel better and also not becoming obsessed with 
okay, I only have one more cheat meal this week, you know. Sure, For sure, me, it's yeah. all about intuitively really listening. And the question mm-hmm. I ask myself in terms of food is, mm-hmm. a lot of times when I reach for something that's not so good for me is, do I actually want pizza or do I want a nap? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, it's not even food that my body's craving. So it's that tuning into the intuition and, you know, being guided less by, here's my schedule, what I should and should not mm-hmm. be eating, and more mm-hmm. of what's going to serve my body. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I'm sure, you know, you've noticed with clients, the more you work, the more tuned in you become with your intuition. Completely. That, that affects food as well. Completely. And it's like this, you actually, the more, it just takes... Just to clean up the slate a little bit, you know, we've been poisoning our, our bodies and minds for, for me, it was 25 years, 26 years to be exact, eating really poorly, of treating myself really poorly, you know, of doing all the things that weren't supportive. And then I needed to take a couple years of very, very strict discipline to then come out and know that I can have these, these meals, that I could sit down and eat this or that whenever I wanted. But it takes us to change you know, first to have a clean slate first, which is a lot of us personally, I find with my clients is people want the the quick fix. They want the media, you know, the spiritual bypass that will, the one meditation, the one juice, the one ceremony that will get me, it will clear me up of all my guilt, will clear me up of all my, my bad eating habits. But we forget that. We're eating for a whole body, that we're doing everything for a whole ecosystem, you know, and a lot of the times we're doing one thing for my taste buds or for my sexual organ or for, you know, my, this one thought to fulfill this one story. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. So it takes what happens with the one-on-one clients and a lot of my students, they come in there uh, and I'm fired. You know, I let you have it straight up. Oh, and no. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really, there's a different teacher for every uh, student. And I realize that for me personally, for me to change my suicidal thoughts and come out of the gate to redo uh, and recreate myself in a total new way i needed to start completely new so i needed to make these changes and once you once you become stable and balanced enough then you actually have this this inherent notion of you know what this will serve me right now and this will do me well and this won't do me well but until we get there honey there's a mission there is oh you know we can't expect all the poison to leave our bodies and minds right away we gotta work ourselves up to that point and we need support we need community you know we need friends that that remind you of that you're magical that you're a fundamental piece to this experience Hmm. so okay guys when sa talks about really poisoning your system and then really cleaning it up. He knows what he's talking about. He spent a few years in ashrams going really deep into his own, you know, spiritual path. So tell us a little more about that. How did that all come about? And how are you finding your way in the wild New York City now? You know, having spent a few years totally off the grid. Thank you so much for this question. So a few things happened, right? So when I was 23, I started this fashion magazine with a couple of friends called Bullet. If you're in New York or you've lived in a, in, a, in a big city the last five to five years, you probably have heard of it. We were, we had Cindy Crawford in our first cover with Mark Ruffalo talking about fracking. So we were doing these things that were different. Every issue had a spiritual theme. You know, we had the, the sin issue, the cosmic issue, the enlightenment issue. And when I was 26, I was bought out, bought out of that, bought out of that project by um, um, so many chains of events that happened. But 
my best friend decided to push me out of the project that we started together. So it was very painful. So there's a lot of betrayal, a lot of sadness, a lot of fears, a lot of, a lot that came up from that, you know? And then I started something else with a, a little bit of the money that I had in Florida called Oracle Talk. And within six months, we reached millions of unique visitors. And then Oracle, the tech company, was like, I want that name because this blog that you have is coming up on Google more than, than we are. And uh, throughout that process, we had someone from JP Morgan fly to Miami to meet us to want to invest in us. It was the same person who invested on Refinery29. So those two things were kind of like a reinforcement of like the power of creating something out of nothing. Okay, so I mm. want to pause here and go a little deeper into that. Okay. What, what state were you in when you started that blog and what was it all about? And oh, okay. how did it all really materialize from an idea into a blog with millions of unique visitors? Because mm-hmm. so many people listening, you know, they might have their own blog or company yeah. and wondering, how do I reach all these people? My message is so important. So exactly. how was that message born and where did you feel the importance of sharing it? And sort of what were the tools of how you really brought it into life? Great. So the, the blog was at a time where I was curious about meditation and plant-based lifestyle and sustainable design and tiny homes and exercise and yoga and spirituality in, in, in a holistic way. And I started to just be very curious about it. And I realized that there's actually a lot of good politics going on. There's actually a lot of good things happening in the political sphere, but it wasn't, there wasn't a space that everyone was talking about all these things at once. Cause these are the things that I look forward to. So what we did is we created these Google tabs and uh, there was this thing called net vibes back then. I don't know if this still works. This still mm-hmm. exists. But you put in your tags, the things you're curious about, and the names of these people. It's like a Google alert, same thing, but more specific, more curated. And they will give us the articles that, that were rated the best, given the amount of people who have seen it. So we would read those articles and we would put our, our two to 300 words spin on it. But we were writing from this side of kind of like fashiony, snobby way. Like, I think this works. And I'm going to give it a try, but you know, I'm fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then throughout that process, a lot of the people from my old world of being the creative director of, a fa- of international fashion magazine, you know, were reading about it and things just started to reblog started happening. And we were very careful about SEO uh, and Upworthy. Is that website still exist? Oh, I remember that. I don't know if it still exists. So Upworthy had a story that was revolutionary. We would do all the research of what is SEO? How do you become more search engine? How do you optimize you everything you post? And there's all these keywords. And apparently the Huffington Post has a whole office where everything gets optimized based on us Google searches. And Upworthy posts the story that was like how to create the most catchy title. So you have to write 25 titles. And after you write 25 titles, you narrow down to three. And after you have three, you narrow down to one. We have to write 25 titles. So we would write these 25 titles for every story. Wow. And that was what would catch people's eyes, you know, was the title and then the subtitle. So the combination of the title, the subtitle and the SEO behind it in our little snarky, sassy way of talking about these topics, we were very curious about these things. So the curiosity fueled this passion, which then fulfilled this purpose that was needed there. There were so many people like us that wanted to read about good politics that were supporting women's rights, that were supporting LGBTQ rights, that were supporting ways of 
dismantling oppressive narratives around the world. And we became really clear who our audience was. And we designed something that was beautiful, that wasn't like a spiritual website that had all these like, you know, lilacs and greens and this and that. That was so like that. No, we were very like BuzzFeed. We designed a website around a place that people could come to feel like it was an authority that they could trust, you know. And we would write eight stories a day. That's a lot. It is a lot. But the way that we would do it, we would have a couple of days a week that we write the stories and then we'll position them and we had these tools i think it's called hootsuite back then that things get posted and all the social social medias around there and we have the newsletter but it really has to do with the title if you're writing a blog if you're writing a blog and you wanted to get out there you have to make sure that you're writing from your heart that you're not trying to be someone else that you're really truthful to your curiosity because if you're curious about it honey I bet you there's thousands, if not millions of people who are also curious about that same thing you're Mm -hmm. curious about. But it takes that one person to be like, you know what, my curiosity matters, so I'm going to fulfill that that niche. And that's the thing, you know, just the heart and the curiosity and even being a good writer doesn't mean that you're going to create a blog with millions of views. No. So it sounds like you did your own research and you really, like, figured out the SEO tricks and the titles. Exactly. But there's so many of these things. And when someone Mm -hmm. is starting a blog or even just in a level of, in a place where you want to bring it to the next level, like me with Breakfast Crumbles right now, Mm -hmm. there's so many elements that I could invest my time and energy into Mm up-leveling. And I guess there is no formula. You know, for you, it's titles. Mm -hmm. For someone else, it may be brand partnerships. Mm -hmm. But in your experience, or is there, is it just the titles? And you think if everyone just puts their energy into that, that's really going to pay back. It is a multitude of things. And actually a one huge thing that thank you for reminding me this is like when people were talking about yoga and sustainability and good politics and this and that and all these positive news, we wanted people to go onto the website and as they scroll through, even if they didn't read anything, at least they felt a positive uplift, like there's good shit happening in the world. The images, we were choosing very specific, beautiful images. There was a high level of taste. And that is something that counts. You know, you have to bring people in with beauty. You know, you have to collect, you know, it's a way to allure you in, you know. And that's what I say to people now. It's like a lot of people are like, oh, but you use so much of your personal image on your on your Instagram. So it's like, honey, this is my way of alluring you in to take care of yourself. You know what I mean? That's really what's up. Totally. It's like I say with Breakfast Criminals, food is my paint, you know, and my canvas. And I lure people into that world because food is the most universal language that everyone speaks. And then we talk about mindfulness and consciousness and self-love and Mm. all these other deeper things. Mm. Exactly. So, okay, back to you. Mm. You know, the website had millions of views and Mm -hmm. then Oracle came in, the lawsuit. And so what happened next? And how did you end up in an ashram after that? Exactly. So that's when I actually listened. And throughout this whole time, I was like battling this acute depression that was, you know, there were have these days that I would just be like, it was paralyzing. You know, I didn't see the, I, I couldn't really see the sun behind the clouds. You know, it was just like the clouds were there. And then I watched the Krishna Das documentary of him, his pilgrimage in India. And I made this whole set up of all these uh, gurus that I was going to travel in the south of India and I was going to see them all and da, da, da. And then my dad walks into the house and he's like, uh, I don't think you should do this, this south uh, pilgrimage. I think you should go to the north, the Himalayas. I think you should 
study Tibetan Buddhism. I think you should go after His Holiness Dalai Lama. And I was like, oh. Wait, how does your dad know? Exactly. <laughs> I'm Up until today, it's a mystery how he knew. Up until today, because he's such a, like, you know, he's very logical about everything. He doesn't really talks about emotions. And on my way here, I was actually writing a post about, like, he's never said the word I love you to any of us. He's probably said it once when he was drunk. So I went to, to a monastery kind of a center in the north of the first encounter with that in the north of India in Dharamshala. And just the way my teacher looked at me, Venerable Joan Nissel, she's this Canadian nun who's been a, a nun, a Tibetan Buddhist nun, the Mahayana tradition, which is the one I studied. Uh, for 27 years. The way she looked at me, it was like forgiveness, unconditional love, kindness, potential. You know, there's all these ways that I didn't really talk to myself about. We even had someone reflect that to me. Oh, actually, there's a big moment that I've forgotten the story. It was in between having gone, having been bought out a bullet and starting Oracle Talk, in between the transitions when I went to Zurich. And I hang out with the first ever hippie, my, fir- my friend Tiffany, who was my first ever hippie. First, someone was talking about self-love and eating tofu and exercising, <laughs> hugging trees and things. She was like, let's go to Berlin. I want you to meet some friends. And it was at this breakfast table in Berlin that these guys were talking about swimming in a sacred river, drinking theogenic medicine, having gurus, fundraising for an NGO in Tibet and self-love and world peace and healing and transformation forgives. I was like, who fuck are you guys? Like, I don't get any of this stuff. So I felt really awkward. And I walked out of this breakfast and went for a little walk on the block. I came back and things just started to change inside of me. It was like a major awakening moment. And then I came back to the States, started blogging about these things that I had found to be passionate about. And then fast forward to leaving for India, Mm. one on one way ticket. So I studied Tibetan Buddhism with this group. Pause here, please. So what's interesting to me, it's like the universe brought you to this table with those people to kind of give you a glimpse into that world, show you what's possible and show you the type of conversation that you could be having that you weren't already having in your life. And, you know, for you, it so happened that you were physically transported there and you were in that presence of that consciousness. And for a lot of us, I feel like that breakfast event happens online, Mm -hmm. you know, huge. If me growing up, I never felt like I belong or I, you know, I had enough people to talk about subjects I was interested in, like personal growth and breath work and all these things. And I started finding things like that in books. And then at some point online, and that's where I really built my community. You know, I'm an immigrant. And until I really established what I'm interested in and started finding my community online, I really didn't know where to find it offline. So it's so cool that with social media, and we're going to get more into that in a few minutes, there's access to any kind of life and any kind of conversation. And we just can like pick and choose and be like, this is the kind of life I want to have. These are the conversations that are important for me to be having. And, you know, all it takes is that one glimpse for Mm -hmm. the fire to be Mm -hmm. stoked and go off. And then boom, you're on your path. Exactly. So there you are on your path. Mm-hmm. start a blog mm-hmm. end up at the monastery mm-hmm. yeah and then from the monastery i was like i really am drawn to bhakti yoga so the chanting of the holy names the repetition of of, of it's a um, um, what they call them it's like mantra meditation and i went to rishikesh the yoga capital the yoga, yoga capital of the world and it's where maharashi the Beatles guru had his ashram and where transcendental meditation was born I went to this ashram 
and we were just chanting. And I just, through, from studying Buddhism and being told that everyone's experiencing suffering, that that's just the nature of the human experience, but there is a way out to then meditating with these real high-level practitioners in the Himalayas where all these mystics and sages and saints have walked and lived and continue to gravitate towards this place to then going to this ashram in by the Ganga, by the Ganges River, literally we would finish class, every in and out of class, class satsang, right? This mm-hmm. exchange with these saintly people. We'll go into the river, the sacred river, and we'll come back into, into the ashram and chanting the river and the whole thing. So during this first go to India, I had already like experienced massive transformation. So much so that when I came back to the States, I met my sister. I was staying at her, her place. When I pulled up in the cab, she's like, wow, there's something so different about your, the way you feel and the way your eyes are. Because I used to be very neurotic. I could never sit still. I had to always be going, 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 sitting, clinging, attaching. And I would always have a cigarette on. It was always, I was always on, but it wasn't this like on where I'm connected to myself. It was this on that like I'm so disconnected to myself that I need to continue to do something to distract myself from the internal chaos like that's scrolling happening. Scrolling on Instagram, uh, grabbing another coffee. And then I realized that there was nothing more important for me at this point in my life than discovering how to operate the mind how to become friends with our most powerful tool our mind and how to live from our heart and how to make my body energized because throughout this whole process of bullet and oracle i had this nagging pain physical pain in my body like it was almost someone like had a hammer on it would wake up with it go to bed with it and i would go to get x-rays and go to doctors and i was like no you're fine you just stressed out i was like dude i know i have a tumor i know i got something wrong with me just tell me so I can start treating it. It was completely a mind fuck. It was literally just the amount of stress that accumulated narratives that I had reinforced throughout my life. And I was living out that prejudice. I was living out those fears. I was living out those, you know, ways of being separate from myself and other people. And so much so that I was experiencing physical pain. And when I started to feel better physically and emotionally and spiritually, and I was opening up my heart to love myself and to forgive myself, that's when I decided to go back to India that winter to do a 30-day silent retreat at a monastery in Nepal with my teacher, Lama Zoparim Pache. And then I just kept on the pilgrimage. I spent about a year in India. And all together from the spring of 2014 to summer of 2016, traveling on this long pilgrimage mm-hmm. to seek people who had answers, you know, and find community and essentially just people that could hold space for me to process what the fuck was going on inside. At what point did you realize you got enough answers and it's time for you to come back into the world? One of my teachers in Nepal said, go, stop, because you're going to come back in 20 years and you're going to become a monk. So go now, look your best, do your best and go to the big city, go to the parties and spread the Dharma. I was like, okay, I'm done. Not really sure what this what this means, but okay, fine. I was writing notes throughout this whole time. I was in between my trips. I would stay upstate New York at the Omega Institute before I would go back up. And this one, the, the first time I was staying at the Omega Institute was at this dinner table. I was talking to to a group of people about 
forgiveness and how to deal, you know, with partners and what does it mean to be in partnership? What does it mean to be in community and healing really? What's worked for me and not? And then this one girl said, you should really teach. I think, I think what you, the, your approach is very relatable. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll put a class together. So I put a class together and 30 people came what from the class? staff. It was called the happiness equation. So I was looking at happiness through a physiological, psychological, and spiritual perspective. And all these statistics, all this like, you know, what happens chemically when you're breathing, what happens chemically when you're meditating, what happens chemically when you're visualizing your dreams in your mind's eye, what happens when you hug, you know, what happens when you eat, like giving people the tools to understand that what these mystics have been talking about for thousands of years have are rooted in scientific evidence. We're just coming around to find out more and more now. I mean, no wonder why mindfulness is thrown around every five minutes. And there's a group of people who have been, you know, hammering at it, going at it to really merge these worlds, you know? And then I taught that class and the class was great. And then they invited me to come back this, the, another year to teach it as a, as a longer program and for the staff. So I came and it was a six week long class that we meet every Saturday for three hours. And then after that, I came to New York and I, was, I had a couple workshops lined up. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do these workshops and I'm going to move to Los Angeles. I want to live in Venice Beach. I really, I feel like I need to be in nature and be around, you know, those people that, because they're definitely more conscious because they live by nature. <laughs> I didn't realize that some people in LA, the people that I was connected to were approaching their healing in a completely different way that I felt comfortable with, that I felt, you know, in, that I felt the, the discipline that I talk about so much, you know? So I was like, I need to go back to New York because I feel like people in New York are smart. They're fierce. They're fabulous. They are disciplined about their healing and they really know what the fuck they want to do. <laughs> so that's when I came to New York. So mm. speaking of fabulous, yeah. it, when in this equation did you realize it's important for you to have online presence? And mm. how did you start really figuring out the balance between connected to this lineage of spiritual teachers and teachings yeah. in a way and sharing that in this online social media world, you know? Got it. Great question. When I was experiencing deep waves of depression, I would post about my process and I'll write about it. It was my way of keeping myself accountable every single day. And I still up until today, you see everything I put out there is exactly what I'm experiencing, exactly the waves that I'm getting through it. And the more real you are, the more raw and honest you are, the more you're going to touch people's hearts and the more you're going to build a community and a following around your voice. So it was from the very beginning, you know, I would always keep myself accountable and I'll, I'll speak about forgiveness. I'll speak about journey. I'll speak about meditation. I'll speak about all the ways to keep myself accountable because I was like, if I put it out there, that means I got to be fucking doing that shit too, mm. you know? And the more I lived what I spoke about, the more it became a thing. So what role do you think having that online presence and really sharing yourself so vulnerably has played in you establishing yourself as one of, you know, the most known meditation teachers and transformational teachers in New York. I think huge. I think it's still my accountability program. You know, I think it's another way for me to express myself, you know, because I do have a journaling practice, but I journal on my notes and then I turn the notes into Instagram posts. I think a really powerful way to stay accountable is to post about it, is to share vulnerably. I think it's so, 
I think it's been a massive. Oh, and another thing too is how great is it that we can connect with people in Switzerland, in Brazil, in Africa, in Asia with every time we post through a hashtag, Mm -hmm. you know, hashtag healing. I put it on my post and then it's people across the world saying, Hey, thank you for that note. Mm-hmm. And then I'm searching around that hashtag healing and I'm getting people around the world. It really shows us the, that we have this Newtonian body that separates you and I, that I know where I end and I know where you begin, but it shows the quality of the mind, which is quantum, that there's no separation. You know, the internet is really shows us that we are just totally interconnected. There's really no separation. So social media is that proof that we have access to this cosmic wisdom that we just have to type on Google, what's up, or Instagram, what we're looking for, and there it is, you know? And we become portals of awakening for each other. We become ways to to discover these ancient, mystical, and for a long time, secret practices, you know? And my whole game is anything that I learn, me having had the 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 blessing of going to India, studying with these teachers, going to Nepal, Thailand, Indonesia, doing this whole pilgrimage, and studying with these masters for this time, and then being able to share freely and openly, you know, I think a huge thing to go back to the social media aspect is gift your audience something for free every day. Gift them something, you know, a little teaching or a little piece of your heart. That's a way for them to feel like they're worthy, that they matter, that you matter. There's a way for you to create this, you know, heart-centered connection. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. And I love the way you put it. And also, you know, I think not everyone has the chance to go and spend a year in an ashram or go on a pilgrimage to India or study Qigong and all these things. But all of us are teachers and all of us are going through something and we have something to share. So whether you are actually a teacher and that's your career or you're just someone who is looking to be more self-expressed and connected to yourself and your path and your journey, I think social media is such an incredible place to do that. I agree. Whether you're doing it very explicitly or you have to be a little more reserved because of who your community and your followers Mm. are. Mm. You know, we all know those situations when there's family and you want to make sure that there's boundaries, you don't want to reveal some things, but that's the thing, you know, there's always... (laughs) (laughs) i'm writing something so open about my dad right now that i'm like mom don't show him yeah Yeah. sorry to pause you there yeah special vulnerability (laughs) i think on some days we feel like that and on other days we feel a little more like we should take it in and Mm -hmm. i think what's also very interesting is that boundary between being with yourself and, and and also sharing yourself like for me when i'm going through my internal process and experiencing, you know, deep waves of opening and, and realizations, I just need to step back and take a moment in a couple of days, maybe a week, to be with myself. Mm-hmm. And I can't share from that place. I just need to sit with it. So for me, it's always an interesting balance of should I have someone take over my account and be posting then so that, you know, the account stays alive and my community's getting some value every day because I definitely don't want to be posting when I'm not in that flow of mm-hmm. sharing and realization and having something profound to say. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. And I think as I started to build a platform, I felt this constant need to always be putting something out there. But you notice the response is clear. The response is low. You know, and then I would go a week without posting. I would post something that was like straight up a realization, aha moment, a moment of insight. And then it would be, oh, here we are. We're all, we, we all are, are riding that wave. You know, we're all in that space. We all can learn from this. So completely agree with you. I think having a healthy relationship with, um, 
what to share and when to share is super important. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when someone's asking me, how do I create a big community? Yeah, I can give you tools and tips how many times a day to post and what time. But really, that's all great. And that may amplify like knowing SEO really well and writing mm-hmm. good titles. But really, the most important thing to be there is that having really something profound to share. Mm-hmm. So we're totally on the same page with that. A couple of really fun questions that I'm just dying to ask you. Yes. What was your first screen name that you can remember? <laughs> oh my god oh, funny one i mean for like the dating apps i feel like i would say like boy brazilian boy you know <laughs> now you guys know where the accent is from <laughs> and yeah but i don't remember i remember the aol chats i remember that was my first place that i could be speaking to an entire community of people who are all interested in LGBTQ conversations. It was the first time and I was in Brazil talking to people from all over Brazil because it was very driven. We, you could pick a place where you were and I would sit on a computer. It was a computer. that was the only computer we had in, in the house outside of my dad's like massive laptop that would be like a <laughs> suitcase that would carry it. I would sit in the living room and I'll be very like, ah. <laughs> you know, they didn't know you were gay. No. Yeah. And that's a big part of my healing mm-hmm. is coming out and expressing myself openly. And, you know, to everyone listening to this out there, whoever has told you that you're not worthy because of your sexual choice, that you're not worthy or that you're broken because of your skin color. Guess what? Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> because you are a divine messenger to this world. If you're triggering person, if you're triggering somebody because of your sexual choice, that means that they have something to work in themselves, that you are a divine, beautiful healing angel to mm. this world. And don't let anyone else tell you any different because you're a fundamental piece. I love that. Yeah. So one more thing to wrap this up is... Let's keep going. I'll be late. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what do you miss the most about growing up without social media? Because we're like around the same age group. So mm-hmm. I feel you. I know how it was. I'm curious, you know, going back there, what is it that you miss the most? That's a really good question. I think more time outside. But you know what? It's funny because I I feel like I have a healthy relationship with social media now. That it's, you know, I will post, I will scroll, I will see. But it, it doesn't, it's not a driving force in my life, you know, of like fear of missing out. How I have to work with mm-hmm. clients on that. They are constantly, you know, when they're competing and in, in, in comparing narratives that show up in social media and how to handle that. I think for me, I mean, honestly, I love social media. I love <laughs> I love knowing what my, my friends are doing in Bali. I love that. You know, and being able to pick up my phone and I see that one of them is like, has created a new earring or has put out a new talk and is writing a new book or made a new, you know, whatever. And I can just pick up my phone and go on WhatsApp and send him a voice and I'll be like, wow, I love you. Congrats. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. I love being connected to the whole world all the time, you know, but I also love my silence. Mm. I, I think that's really the most important point of Woke and Wired and why I want to have these conversations is because ultimately online is giving us this possibility and opportunity to really connect with people, to expand, to co-create, to learn more, to have realizations. And that's the way you see it. And because of that's the framework that you see it through, that's what you get back. 
What you get back is opportunities and expansion and Mm -hmm. community. And, you know, that's an important thing to remember. We get exactly what we envision, what we ask for, and what we put into the world through our words. Exactly. So by just saying that, you're just creating more of that in your life. And I think it's important for us all to be conscious about what we say, not just about social media, but our relationship with ourselves, about other people, and just really keeping our language pure because our word creates our world. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. I hope <laughs> double that. It's mm. so true. And you know, a simple and powerful exercise to create more abundance in your life is to just simply, you know, close your eyes and ask yourself, what does abundance mean to you? You know, what does abundance mean to you? And allow those answers to arise. Allow those answers to come up to the mind's eye and get really clear what they are, you know, and see that a lot of your ways that you've thought about abundance, perhaps are rooted because of someone else's Instagram feed, perhaps are rooted because of someone else's Facebook post, or perhaps are rooted in your mom's story or your dad's story or your grandfather's fears, you know? So create your own narrative of abundance and figure out what is abundance to you. Get really specific, you know? Is it a healthy body, clear mind? Is it friends, lovers, beautiful home and adventure? Is it sailing through the Indian Ocean? I don't know. I don't know if that's even a thing, but you know what I mean? (laughs) You know, like get really clear about what abundance means to you and share about, share from that place, you know, share abundance because we have the opportunity to manifest abundance in everything we do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's totally fine to use other people's examples and lives or even our parents, you know, Mm -hmm. to sort of like nitpick and really sit with it and create our own vision through those tidbits. But like you said, I think it's very important to just Tune back into yourself and ask yourself, do I want this because this makes me lit? Or do I want this because I think I want this? Because I've seen this there and there. Exactly. So, yeah, that's super important. So, leading up Mm. to a big question. Yes. You have something exciting coming up. So, the question is, what are you feeling woke about right now? Great question. Thank you. I'm feeling woke right now about my book coming out. Yes. It's uh, The Little Book of Daily Meditations an instant moment to get clarity, wisdom, and balance. And uh comes out August 7th. So look out for the pre-sale dates. It's uh, 365 meditations and intentions and mantras to get you to, you know, connect to yourself more deeply and live from the heart. And also this week, I started working on a second book, which is getting me so woke about, you know, so lit about that too. And I think what's also getting me so the expansion, and that's when I think about woke, is this like expansion of internal landscape, of my internal landscape in my heart, is feeling like I belong, you know, like I belong in this path that I'm in, like I belong in this way of operating from a place of joy and abundance, you know, because there was a lot of, there was so much suffering and shame and fear around me growing up that I thought that that was like how I would have to operate. And I like to be a beacon of light when I'm around people. I love to see people laughing and, you know, remembering that they have the skill set within them to live out their dreams, that their voices matter, that everything we dream of is possible. And I noticed being in community, how we get reminded um, that we are that we can operate from this abundance, joyful state of being. Community. That's really what it leads back to. You know, we started by talking about 
transformation and what you do for people, how you hold them accountable. I think ultimately we can only go that far on our own. And that's why it's extremely important to surround ourselves with like-minded people and communities and teachers and mentors They're going to hold us to account and hold space for us to move through places that are dark and light. And I am so grateful that we're having this conversation. And for you guys out there, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to link to uh, Sas' upcoming book and anything else that we talked about below. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, my love, for having me. And it's truly an honor and a joy to be in your space, to be here talking to you. And thank you for all the work you do continue to inspire from a place of love and kindness and fierce and fabulous. <laughs> so thank you. I love that. All right. Are you ready to go out there and be a portal of awakening for someone on Instagram? Whether it's on Instagram or in real life, I don't really care. I just really hope that listening to this episode left you feeling like anything is possible, even if it's just a little bit. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired, and have an incredible day.